Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board-certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hi, and welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast. And what is this podcast about? It's about wellness. It's about being nice. It's about being a good person. And my guests are people who influence other people in a nice way. I have stories that are just totally amazing that will just make you go, aw. And sometimes I get, you know, maybe a star or two who's nice enough to appear on my podcast. So today, I'm going to combine worlds. I'm going to get a really cool story that's going to make you say, oh, man, that's awesome. And I got to tell you, she is quite the reality TV star. So today, my guest is going to be Brittany Santiago. And I have a little bio that I'm going to read about, you know, Brittany. So addiction is real and it does not discriminate. These are going to be Brittany's words. Anyone could fall deep into it and become an addict. While others escape its grasp, not many can say the same thing. There are so many people out there who are suffering from addiction, fighting their way into recovery. Brittany Santiago was one of them. Brittany became a reality TV star when she appeared on Love and Life After Lockup. That's the star part of my guest today, you know? Her memoir, One Woman's Journey Surviving the Streets, tells about her struggles with addiction and what she learned. In this episode of the Dr. Raj podcast, she's going to share her story when she was young, an innocent woman introduced to drugs to overcoming addiction. And today, not only will you hear Brittany's story, you'll learn about her journey and that how it helped her and what she wanted everyone to know, which is if you know someone who has addiction or you suffer from addiction, how to become successful. Brittany has blossomed since being released from her lockup and is happily married and has beautiful children. Her goal is to share her passion for helping people understand addiction and what you can do to help yourself and your loved ones. And with that being said, Brittany, how are you doing? Amazing. Thank you so much, Dr. Raj, for having me. Um, It's really a pleasure to be here with everybody and I'm doing fabulous. And I'm happy to be in a good place in my life today to be able to say that. And, I, I you know, sometimes I wish I do the, the video because you look amazing. You look you. <laughs> to influence millions of people. You know what I mean? I just like it. So let me start off with the kind of generic but important question so all my listeners can be on the same page. So how does someone who is as lovely as you are end up 
in prison? I mean, can you explain this to me? Yeah. Um, geez, that's a, it's, it's a tough question, but it's easy at the same time. It's like, where do you really begin? Because um, addiction does not discriminate. You know, and um, people don't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I'm going to be a drug addict today or, hey, I think I'm going to be a criminal. I would like to be a criminal today. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. There's always like um, a series of events that happen in people's lives. And some people have the tools in their toolbox to make the, the right decisions and other people just don't. And unfortunately, I didn't have the tools in my toolbox that I needed that were necessary to make the right decisions. And unfortunately, I became a product of my environment. And I went down a very self-destructive path that ultimately led me to prison by the time I was 18 years old. So, I mean, now you're just like getting me more involved in here. So what is this addiction and when did it start? I mean, did this start like at 15 or younger? Like what happened? Younger, younger. Oh my God. I was turned out on methamphetamines when I was 12 years old. So I'm from Alaska and um, I grew up there. My parents were, you know, having a having a rough time with their demons and alcoholism and things of that nature. And they decided the best move for our family was to come down to Las Vegas, Nevada. You know, throughout my childhood years, I felt very unloved, very unwanted. I didn't feel like anybody would care if I was no longer around. And when we moved to Las Vegas, I ran away that same night. And I ended up getting lost and tried to go back home, but I didn't really know where home was. My parents didn't really have a phone number. We had just relocated. Um, so I was kind of just stuck on the street. And to, I just started walking around trying to find somebody that looked friendly. Um, and when I started talking to her, she took me in under her wing. And it wasn't even like a week or two later where she got me strung out on methamphetamines. And the rest is kind of history. We've a little bit behind the camera, behind the mic. And I didn't know yeah. where we started in Alaska, you know. Yeah, as you moved right to Las Vegas, and your story kicked in that same night. Yeah, that same night. You know, looking back, you know, I'm I'm a mature adult now. I am married. I have three children, and I do everything in my power to be the best mother that I possibly can. Um, but looking back, I realize now um, what an innocent, naive young little girl I was. When I ran away, I left with a backpack, and I even put my Barbie doll or my baby doll in the backpack. Like that's how young I was. Oh my God. Took my mom's change, put it in the backpack, maybe brought a toothbrush and a change of clothes. And, you know, you have to ask the question like, what could possibly be going so wrong in one young little girl's heart and in her mind to make her so brave to just run the streets of Las Vegas, to just pack up and just leave in the middle of the night alone? Well, let me ask this because now, uh, you know, I got to have the conclusion question. So, what put you in prison itself? Did it have to do with the drugs? Did something happen? What was the charge? Let me try to be Judge Judy. What were you charged for? So the charges are terrible. If anybody, you know, looks up my scope record, it's, it's horrible. But yep. the thing is, is that, you know, if you're arrested on any kind of felony count, you yep. know, the, they're going to charge you with 10 different things, but it's really one thing. And those are going to stick on your record forever. So even though I was convicted of, you know, conspiracy to commit robbery or grand theft auto. If you look at my scope record, there's things as bad as attempted murder. I've never tried to kill anybody in my life. It's just, that's just the way that, that it is. And I, I don't want to ever, ever in my life sound that I am not accountable for my actions. I feel like I was somebody that was worthy to sit down in prison and, and do some time. I needed that time out. 
was I per se guilty for the exact charge that I was convicted of? Probably not, but I did my time and I feel like, um, you know, when you're on, when you're on drugs, even if you don't have bad intentions for people, the more you start losing your morals, you start losing your character, you start losing yeah. your, your person when you're on drugs, the further you get it, you get into it, the further you lose just all sense of normality. And like I said, morals in general, you start hanging out with people and what they're doing is cool. And I mean, why care if you're all have the same common denominator, which is getting, getting high. And ultimately I don't want to say wrong place, wrong time. I don't want to say, um, you know, hanging around people that didn't have good intentions for me, but I was easily manipulated Uh, as a teenager strung out on drugs by grown adults. I mean, I see why you're on reality TV. You're very captivating. I got to tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So let me, so I mean the length of time. So everyone could be in perspective. How long did you have to be? in jail how long did you spend time in there for? so i sir i went to jail at 18 and i served five years and it oh, was wow between um california and nevada yeah so i did time in chachilla which is horrific let me just be the first i, I never thought i was going to get out of there alive that was the most traumatizing situation i have ever been in my entire life and then i spent three years there and then i spent two years out here in nevada okay this is almost supposed to be the comical, but not question, you know, when, you know, I heard about your story and I think the big thing that motivate me is women's prison and the hottest show at the time. when I first heard of you through mutual friends was orange is the new black is orange is the new black. Anything like kind of. went through, is there some similarities or you're okay? So I, I only watched a few episodes of it. Okay. Um, but I will say that it's it's kind of it's kind of similar. Now it, it depends on w- what prison you're talking about here. Are you talking about Nevada? Are you talking about California? Because California is hardcore. Like in, in, I'm talking like it's there's nothing funny or comical about that prison in any way, shape, or form. Or but Orange is the New Black. It's funny. I remember when I got out of prison and I started watching that show, and I was actually living with my grandmother. And she's older and she's old school. And she looked at me and she says, Brittany, aren't you tired of that prison crap? (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Now, I got a a, a bunch of questions. I I really want to make this about, you know, I think when we anytime a prison jail, we always think about men. Okay, what is a man going through? And I really feel like, you know, women don't represent the biggest of what's going into prison, there's issues that need to be raised. And I thought this would be a time for you to kind of express concern yeah. you've been through. So from a woman's perspective, what is it like about being victimized? Are women victimized in a prison in any type of way? Anything you want to comment about that? I believe that women are victimized anywhere, everywhere, but particularly in the prison and jail system, yes. There you know, was an incident when I was first arrested um, when I was 18 years old that I was being victimized and preyed upon by a, a correctional officer um, who's actually a classification sergeant. And um, I, I don't want to give like too much about that only because I am writing and publishing a second book. You know, you don't have any rights. Your rights are taken away and, you, and you're, you're in prison or jail with people who have power over you. And a lot of them like to assert their power over you. No, it, no, it is scary. It just sounds scary. You know, what about 
family life. Maybe your family wasn't as close at that time, at least talked about moms and dads. But what was family life for you during and after prison? Was there any help to help that transition or to just make things worse? I mean, it's no secret. I ran away because I felt unloved as a child and my parents were suffering from their own demons. So I try not to, I guess I would say, hold them responsible for that. I've made amends and I've I've moved on, but that also means that when I was just a little girl in prison fighting for my life in prison, that I did not have any family support there whatsoever. No letters, no phone calls, no money. And that taught me how to survive. It, you know, taught my survival instincts have been exactly where they needed to be my entire life, whether I'm homeless on the streets, whether I'm in prison, I, I learned how to survive. I learned how not to go without anything. And then when I got out, even though my grandmother, um, allowed me to parole to her house, I wouldn't necessarily say that I had an example of success to follow. So now here I am, 23-year-old woman, my first time in the adult world, my first time sober, and I don't really know what I'm doing. And the entire time, society's rejecting me every at every corner and every turn that I take. You know, ultimately, um, I would, I have to admit, I ended up back in prison a couple of oh. years later. Okay. I did another two years and I was very bitter and I was very angry about that because I was so motivated and I was so determined. And I, I was happy to go to prison when I was 18 because I didn't want to be high, but I didn't know not to be high. And that's the truth. I was so young. I didn't even know what the word recovery meant, let alone a yeah. recovery center that there was an actual place where people would help you. I didn't know. But I was grateful to go to prison and I utilized every second of every minute I had in prison to better myself. And to change myself. So when I came home, I was ready to do that. But I still didn't have those tools in my toolbox I needed when I'm in high pressure situations that potentially are triggering me at a time where I didn't even know what triggers were. So ultimately, I ended up back in prison the second time. It was very unfortunate, but I really, really am happy. You definitely look happy. I'm happy I went to prison. Isn't that crazy to say that? No, it is. It's hard to wrap your head around it, or at least my head around it. Yeah. But no, this is good. You're kind of setting me up for my next question because you at the end point right now, me, I see we're going to talk about you getting a real estate license. You wrote a book. So when it comes to the prison and helping women, you know, at schooling, get a job, do they have enough you know, resources involved, or is that a big weakness of system? Do they have enough resources? Probably. Are they utilizing them and giving them complete 100% access to all of the women in the prison? Probably not. Um, I would say the biggest misconception about prisons is that they are supposed to be rehabilitation facilities, which in fact, they do nothing to rehabilitate the inmate. Um, They do offer um, AA classes or recovery classes or or certain things are available. However, the prison's number one concern is how do we keep these women segregated? They're more concerned about, is this inmate girlfriends with this inmate? And if they are, she needs to be in unit one and unit five. Now, even though AA is going on all month long, I, because I'm in unit one, only get to go once a month. If I, if I was on drugs and I drank every single day for years, going to a meeting once a month is not going to help. It's a, I need to live and breathe sobriety the same way that I did addiction. If I was chasing a bag or chasing a high or drinking from the second I woke up to the second I went to sleep or crashed, because I never chose to go to sleep until I crashed, I need to choose sobriety the same way. 
and it's not available in the prison. And there's so many women that are getting out of prison and their hearts are so pure and they want nothing more than to just be successful. But what the hell is success? They don't know. And society's like, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Or you're no good. Or you're a felon or you're this. And they're like, but wait a minute. I can't get a job because I don't have an ID and you won't let me get an ID because I don't, I don't have any money and nobody's helping me. And they're just spinning in these circles. And they're like, okay, well, I guess I'm just going to hit a pipe because I don't want to deal with it anymore. Then they relapse and they relapse. And I don't understand like the harder the warden and the prisons try to segregate the women, the more ways and the, and the more focused these women become on how to get to each other. And then they lose sight and focus of what they're really supposed to be doing, which is bettering your life and, and, and realizing like, Hey, you're in prison. Hey guys, you guys are in prison. It's not a playground. Like sit down, utilize the time to better yourself. Because when you get out, you're going to come right back. If you don't. Yeah. No, well said. I'm telling you, I think you have a secret camera on my side. Cause you set me up for my next question. Really nicely. Okay. <laughs> I love it, dude. If you're cheating. It's okay. I, I still love it. <laughs> Um, so you're talking about, you know, getting your next hit, your next fix, being in the prison. Yeah. I mean, I got to ask this cause I'm curious. They said that there's still substance abuse problems in the prison itself. Is that true? I'm very naive and you could laugh at me off camera. You know what I mean? Is there still ways to get things and people having abuse of certain medications in prison? Can you? Yeah. Okay. So in prison, uh, pills, you name it, it's in there. People are, I mean, obviously it's no secret. People make prison hitch. That's <laughs> different, but, um, you know, I did turn 21 in prison, so <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Um, but, you know, it depends on really like what correctional facility you're in because there are COs who are bringing in bags of drugs and then the women are using them and selling them on the yard. There's people that bring it in through visitation and then there's those people that cheat their medication and still call. I mean, women go and lie about having all kinds of mental problems or any type of emotional problems that would require maybe needing um, an antidepressant or some type of psychotic medication or some type of narcotic. And then um, they're lying about it to get these pills to either get high or to sell them. Maybe they don't have money on their books and they're utilizing this as a way to have shampoo to wash their hair or have coffee or whatever it is, you know, Um, and Therefore, later on down the line, it's messing it up for the women who really do need yeah. therapy, medication, and this and that. And um, there's also um, through the mail, through, I mean, there's a lot of different ways, but they are getting it and they are doing anything and everything they can to pay for it and to stay high. And it's very sad, very sad to watch. No, and even though one of my opening questions was, is it anything like Orange is the New Black? I mean, there is some parts of the show i'm like oh my god they probably stole that up from what you're going through and i gotta ask now when i was in chachilla um (laughs) when i was in chachilla the there's there's like um eight bunks to a room and then they have these big open windows and so with a room the cells are right across from each other so they're set up a little bit different than what people think of as like the open dorm or the two-man cells yeah but i could see right across the hall and, um, you know, I, I remember watching this lifer, she's getting ready to, you know, do a shot of heroin and there's a new, yeah, there's a new girl, a young girl, you know, you could tell she's just going to be in and out of the prison or whatever. And they, for, I watched them force her to do heroin. So she couldn't snitch on them for doing heroin. And you're talking about a girl who's never done drugs in her life, a young girl, like 18, 19 years old. 
Yeah. You know, they forced her to do heroin or yeah. what was the, what was there? You want to get shanked? You want to be doing a snitch? You don't want to do that because yeah. you've got children. They'll slice your face up. They'll do all kind of nasty things. And so I watched this girl puke her brains out really because she'd never done heroin or anything like that before. I'm going to talk about mental health. Let me ask you a quick side question out of nowhere. So yeah. did someone actually have cell phone stashed in a brick somewhere in the wall that that was like the prized item to have in prison well out here in nevada listen the girls in the in the prison out here they telling each other for everything yeah. getting any type of cellular device in the prison is probably not going to happen but right. there's cell phones all over the yard and they're either brought in through somebody from visitation or a yeah. CEO. And you you get that you pay a lot a big bucks for that cell phone and stash it and then you rent it out dollars at a time um, you rent it out you could do video chats whatever it is like the girl the girls are smart now with yeah. that being said I wanted to make sure I talk about mental health because I don't anyone's podcast to talk about this and you could answer it uh, as yourself or people you know like. How is depression? Is it a real thing? How's anxiety? Are we addressing it with people in the present as well as afterwards? I do not believe that people are getting the adequate amount of help or the right type of help that they need in prison at all by any means. You got to think there's people that go in there on drug charges. Are they being treated for drugs? No, that was their charge. Isn't the whole point to be treated for what the what they're going in there for? Yes, so sir. people are like, um, you know, they go and they're I'm I'm depressed or I'm sad, and they just give them a bunch of pills and then they leave them in a cell, and that's <laughs> it. And they're not actually doing anything about the problem. For me, you know, I've watched my mom suffer from a pill addiction my entire life, and it's bad, and it's still bad. And she's still suffering, um, and I'm still hopeful that maybe one day she'll be able to let them go. So for me, I. I tried to do everything in my in my power um, to not get on any type of medication, even though there were times in my life where I felt like I could probably use them. I was yeah. having, um, maybe maybe a little bit manic or maybe a little bit depressed at the time, maybe a little anxious, especially being locked in a little cell. Um, but I I don't know, Doctor Raj. It's hard to say. Like I feel like um, I feel like somewhere somehow I just found the strength that I needed to try to overcome the mental um, the mental anxiety and issues that I was going going through. So I did not have to be on any type of medication, and I did not have to uh, back to prison or get back on the on drugs. Yeah, you know, you know, honestly, just from our interactions together, I don't see those things. And either you have the best defense mechanisms, or you're just a warrior. I gotta tell you. <laughs> Thank you. you no, know, when I honestly, I wish you could, yeah. see, you could see my face when you tell some of these stories. I'm like, that's not the person I'm talking to. Yeah, <laughs> because and, I'm smiling. <laughs> wow. Like, um, you know, I was just ta- talking to my sister about this because we were talking about. Um, I have had two children that were adopted out when I was a teenager, but I could talk to you about them now without breaking down. Does that mean it doesn't hurt me? No, it means that I've healed. And it means that I've I've learned um, um, how to find acceptance in my life um, and not allow like past actions to define my character today. So, well, I want to switch gears a little bit because I got to talk about you and being on TV. Is it, is it the strangest thing ever that people actually want to f- 
follow you on media. Now you're a reality. It's very, it's very, I will tell you, it's very humbling. Let me just say that it's very humbling. Um, I don't let the TV aspect kind of go to my head, but I just never um, thought that I was going to be able to have a platform to reach as many people as I have. I sat back in prison and I was like, how am I going to help people? How am I going to save young girls? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? And I didn't have an answer, you know, and then here it is years later and I meet my husband um, and I met him on a pin pal dating site. I had never met him in person. Yeah. And so we're dating and I'm coming home to him and we're full on romance and the whole nine yards. And, um, Oh, that was such a good time. But um, anyways, and right before I came home from prison, he's like, I just saw this crazy show on TV and they're casting for new people. And he told me about it. I was like, well, apply to the show. Send, send the network an email and see what they say. And they had one phone interview with me and they were like, oh yeah, when do you parole? We're going to be there. <laughs> and they were, they were, I was standing there, um, you know, just got my handcuffs off. I'm in my prison blues. There's like, t- like the 10 camera crew people. Like you got the, the cameras and the audio guy and the producer. And like, there's just a whole crowd of people that I'm standing there frozen because like one of the lieutenants from the parole department had came out and started freaking out about the cameras. And I remember that I, I couldn't move. And my husband at the time was like, Brittany, come here, come here. And I put it because the officer was talking. And I realized that moment that I was mentally institutionalized and a little bit emotionally institutionalized, even though I, I thought that I had worked through those problems. Yeah. The second I was around law enforcement and the second he opened his mouth, I froze and I put my hands down to my side subconsciously without even knowing what I was doing. But anyways, yeah, I'm on TV now. Here it is three years later. I think we're on our like seventh season. <laughs> you know, Brittany, to prepare for this, I actually watched one of your, your episodes. Oh, you did? <laughs> well, I, just in case you quizzed me on something. Yeah. I met your, your husband on TV. Yeah. You know, and you know, what I, l- I like about you and is that I think you're one of the most well-spoken people. I know that you're supposed to give drama and there is some drama going on right now, but yeah, big time the way you hold yourself and you sound exactly the way today as you do on your show. Now, do, do they have, do you have to carry these little mics on your back? I do. They want to follow you into the bathroom. Is it like that or not really? Yeah, they do, but I learned how to turn them off. So every time I go to the bathroom, I just like on the low, I'll turn it off. And turn it <laughs> that is so funny. Yeah, oh. I go to the bathroom. They're like, don't worry, we'll silence your mic. And I'm like, mm, I don't trust you, bud. Don't trust you. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to make sure we get to some other things. But I want to say that in, in regards to accomplishments that you want now, now that you're out of prison, out of jail, what do you want to accomplish, especially in regards to women in the prison system. Do you have a, a list of things that you say now that I have a platform to accomplish these things? So I will just on, um, you know, um, our mutual friend, Cassandra Hine, who is, she is such a beautiful soul. And I love her with all of my heart. Um, she's been branding after orange, which is a nonprofit now that we are both on um, and working toward And the whole mission for after orange is really to help women that are getting out of prison um, get successfully acclimated back into society. Now, people who have been watching the show and people have, you know, seen that um, it's not easy, not impossible, but it's not easy. And I'm trying to use my platforms and I'm trying to just somehow help people that are going through the struggles that I went through that didn't have a helping hand. Now, um, 
How are we going to accomplish this? I'm not sure, but we're working toward it. And, you know, it's not about perfection. I would say it's about progress. And, you know, not, you know, we have an also mutual friend, which is Cassandra's sister, which is Jamie. Jamie, now, I love I have to say something. I'm very equally as proud of her as of you, because yes. I know that you guys met in prison and she went on to get a. I actually dated Jamie for a really long time. You didn't. Yeah, oh, you didn't. <laughs> we were together for over a year, for a long time. And um, I actually used to have her um, her name tattooed on my hand. Oh, I'm so in love with her. And I wanted to marry this girl and everything. <laughs> and that's how I met Cassandra. But yes, Jamie is out now and she's doing phenomenal. And I'm really yeah. happy to No, totally. So staying watching her go through her medical problems. Like the officers, she'd be swelling up because of, uh, how do you pronounce what she has again? She has hereditary angioedema, oh, scary right. disease, scary it disease. It is, it vary. And to watch her get stressed out and her body to start swelling, she would call correctional officers and beg them to take her to medical. And sometimes they'd refuse. They'd accuse her of just wanting attention. And she would, you know, tell them like very seriously and wholeheartedly, like, I'm scared. You know, my grandmother has passed away from this and, and, um, and I'm scared and, and they still wouldn't take her to medical. And it's a big problem. You know, and Brittany, let me just say, you know, some of my medical student listeners could understand when you have angioedema, you could have swelling of your tongue, of your, th- yeah, your of your throat. Yeah. Air is not coming in. And the only thing that will save Jamie or people with hereditary angioedema are very specific medications. And can you be- imagine being locked up and in a cell and you're begging someone else to yeah. For life-threatening medications, you can't hold on to them. Nope, you rely cannot on to save her life. To hold on to any of her medication, and a oh. lot of the correctional officers would accuse her of just wanting attention or just wanting to get out of her cell. And um, I because I remember one time she thought she couldn't even come outside because her foot was so swollen that she couldn't put a shoe on, and it's it's very serious. And um, yeah, I want to give a little uh, time for your book in your journey of all the different things, you know what I mean? Trying to be a good person, good mom, recovering from addiction, spoke to her. Yeah. What a book. How did that come about? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so I always knew that I wanted to write a, a book or a story. I wanted to, I wanted to tell my story. I always knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really have much like motivation behind it to actually do it. Right. And I will tell you from experience now, the hardest part about publishing a book is actually just simply writing the manuscript, just getting the manuscript done. That is the hardest part, right? Um, and so I, I didn't really have much motivation to get it done. And then I appeared on a national television show and I'm new to social media. You know, I've been in prison for so long. I'm on Twitter and I'm on um, Instagram and I'm like, wow, people are really mean. <laughs> they could be really mean, right? And I'm yeah. like, I, again, I didn't just wake up one day and say, hey, I think I want to go to prison today. It sounds yeah. like fun. I didn't say that. So I was like, okay, maybe they just, instead of being upset with them, I can see that they're judging me, but maybe they just don't understand. Let me write a book. I'm going to tell them. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to tell you what happened. And then, so I just, I just kind of told a story about my childhood and ultimately all of the events that led up to my incarceration. And so everyone knows what we're talking about. This is one woman's journey, surviving the streets. Yeah. Love it. Catchy title. Now you already like dropped a teaser. So I'm going to yes. reel you in a little bit. You said you're making a, a sequel to this book. So, so um, what that one woman's journey is actually going to be a trilogy. So the sequel is one woman's journey surviving prison. 
And the last one is going to be Surviving Society. So they're all in the works. And I've been working on the sequel a lot longer than I did the first book. Um, But that's only because I got my real estate license and I've been working real estate every single day, like an addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Every single day, all day, like an addiction. Um, Just because it's a huge learning curve. You're talking about somebody who never went to um, high school. You're talking about somebody who spent their um, seven years in prison and I'm only 30. So how many years have I had of adulthood on the streets? If you think about it, you know, you're talking to somebody who's never really had a job and now I have a career. So I've been working real estate really hard and I'm so, um, I'm so proud of that accomplishment. No, I am, I am super proud of you. And we should let everyone know, like, so there is a, a big license test you have to take to get your real estate license, correct? Huge. Huge. And, um, and was that your first big game changer test that you had to sit down for? And, and were you? Well, actually, you know, uh-huh. I never went to high school. Um, yeah. I was on the streets and I was on drugs. And yeah. so when I was in prison, I was like, oh, I guess I better get my GED. I don't want to <laughs> want to do something with my life. Yeah. And I just quit and I just, I didn't even study. I, I realized that um, the, the test is just reading comprehension. So if you could just, you know, remember and focus and actually quiet your mind and pay attention to what you're reading you'll be able to answer the questions. So I passed my GED and then I came home and I went to college for a little while. Um, And then, yeah, I, and I enjoyed it. Um, However, I just realized that going to school is just not like that long term is just not for me. Um, And then I ended up, like I told you, I went back to prison again. But so when I was studying for real estate, now that I'm out again, it's just, just pay attention and it's all reading comprehension. It is. I don't know. I went and I took the test and um, I, I passed the first time in how Half the time. <laughs> so let me, let me ask you, yeah. so is it, is it going to be the Brittany Santiago real estate company or do you work for another branch? Are you, um, so I plans? am as a, as a realtor, um, I am my own business. Mm-hmm. You have to hang your license at a brokerage. My license hangs at Realty One. Okay, I'm cool. I group here yeah. in Las Vegas. Nice. Um, and actually, um, I have quite a few clients already, and I'm really proud about that, buyers and sellers. Nice. You already broke ground. You sold something already, right? Yeah. Well, I've, I've worked with buyers, and I've got buyers in contract, and I've actually, I'm just in the process with my first listing, um, and I've been receiving offers on the property actually all day today, <laughs> and it's nice. really, really nice you know, to be able to call somebody and, uh, you know, congratulations, I just received yeah. multiple offers on your home, you know, and it's just a nice feeling to be able to share that with other people. I mean, you put a smile on my face. And I listen to this podcast is that, you know, Brittany, when we were scheduling this, had a juggle between yeah. <laughs> being a mom and being a real estate agent. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you squeezed me into your schedule today. I'm really, really happy to be here. And I was only concerned about it because I feel like a, I feel okay, but my husband's like, you're a little raspy. And like, it gives me character, babe. I'm going for it. I'm good. I love it. Before we say goodbye, I want to make sure that people who want to follow you on social media or a house or apartment from you, can you kind of throw out a couple of how they can follow you, some of your social media sites and everything? Yeah, absolutely. So if you want to follow me on Instagram, it's at Brittany underscore love after lockup. And if you are in the home buying process or have anything real estate related, you can email me at Brittany Santiago real estate at gmail.com. And I got to plug one more thing in. So, you know, I had this feeling that your books are going to be made into movies. 
Is your son? Oh, I love that you said that because <laughs> I dream about that. I am trying to mentally manifest that. I'm not trying. I am. I'm manifesting that. I, I, I feel it. If, you, if they turn out to be what I think they're going to be, can you can you get me a small role in one of your movies? Oh yes. well hey everyone i told you it was a treat today to kind of mix it up a bit and just hear an awesome story about when you work hard you believe in yourself you have a good support system so hey Brittany, thanks for yeah talk about addiction really quick yes i would just love to say to anybody out there that is struggling or has questions for their loved ones about like, how did I just overcome addiction? What I realized that you could detox your body from anything, right? But it's your mind that you need to focus on. If you do not break free from the mental obsession of addiction, the chances are that your body is going to be physically triggered in a moment and your mind is going to tell your body to relapse. So you have to focus on how to break free from the mental obsession. If you can figure out why you used and deal with that emotional trauma and mental trauma, then likely you're not going to be in a situation. You're not going to need the drug anymore. You know, you're not going to need the alcohol anymore. So I'm just saying that if you guys can just focus on that, my little tidbit of advice for today. <laughs> that was a better sign off than my sign off. So oh. <laughs> <laughs> you show off. All right. Thanks. Thanks again, Brittany, for coming on the show. And Absolutely. I will hopefully... We'll see each other soon through our friends, or maybe I'll convince you to come back on the podcast, okay? I would love to. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. Our producers are Madison Linden and Chris Brightigan. Our executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis.